Hello, and welcome to The Doctor Is In, a podcast created by the healthcare experts of IU Health Physicians at IU Health Fort Wayne. In this podcast series, you will learn all about important, timely, and interesting health matters as they relate to you, the listener, and all from those who know it the best. Now, sit back and enjoy this episode of The Doctor Is In. Hi, this is Jeff Randolph, and I'm uh, talking with Dr. Joe Perkins, a family medicine physician with Indiana University Health, Fort Wayne today. Uh, Joe is a Fort Wayne native who did his residency here in Fort Wayne uh, with family medicine program, and then did a fellowship in Akron, Ohio in sports medicine. Joe's currently practicing at our Auburn Park location, but he will move to the newly built location at Stellhorn and Lehmeyer in September when it opens. Welcome to the podcast, Joe. Thank you for having me. Uh, totally my pleasure. I wonder if you would clear up some confusion for me and for our um, audience by describing what a family practice physician with added training in sports medicine does. Yeah, the way I like to describe it is, you know, as primary care sports medicine physicians, first and foremost, we're trained in primary care. So focusing on all the things that you typically would have a family doctor manage, so health prevention, we focus on uh, chronic conditions like diabetes, hypertension, and in, in terms of sports medicine, really a lot of non-operative orthopedics. Mm. So anything from sprains, strains, uh, basic fracture care, and so combining those really allows us to manage a lot of different things for different individuals. Mm -hmm. And you can manage those acute things on top of their chronic conditions or their general health conditions. Right, so if someone doesn't have a family physician and you know, has a musculoskeletal, musculoskeletal condition, we're able to see them, manage both of those, and really provide a lot of access and convenience for patients. Yeah, that's great. So let's start, um, if you don't mind, let's start on the athlete side, um, specifically related to sports medicine, um, because I know this is an interest of yours, athlete yourself. So um, what's the, a lot of times when a person is involved as an athlete in an acute event in which they've sustained an injury, the first person that sees them is their trainer, their athletic trainer that works for the school or maybe a coach or maybe a parent if the athletic activities are happening outside, outside of structure. Um, so what happens at that juncture? How do they intervene? And then what would be the next step for those people in terms of referring a patient on to you for evaluation and understanding at a greater depth of what exactly has happened. Yeah, so I think the, the big thing is, is a lot of times trainers, for example, know, know the athlete or the individual really well. So they know any medical problems they may have that you know could impact a certain type of injury. They know them as athletes, what sport they play or what type of uh, activity they're doing day to day. So they have a lot of background that we don't. And so that's very helpful. And then, you know, it really becomes looking at any, you know, red flags on, on the exam, what, what the mechanism of injury was. They, of course, are trained to do a musculoskeletal exam as well. So mm -hmm. looking for any red flags that, you know, that might indicate more urgent referral or something that's surgical, an exam finding, for example. Mm -hmm. And if any of those don't exist, which we know that 90% is non-operative um, in, in the musculoskeletal world, they usually can institute some basic exercises or get a, a therapy plan going. Mm -hmm. And then if those aren't improving or they do have a red flag or need uh, imaging, for example, then that would be a good indication for them to come see us. 
Yeah, that sounds good. So um, what's the best way for them to think about that in terms of next steps? Is there a process that's in place for it? Is that something that you yourself cultivate or how does that happen? Yeah, usually it's something in, in the training room setting anyway to, to use that as an example. Trainers generally have a good idea. They've been doing this for a long time or if they knew or if they're new again, they have pretty extensive training and doing a good exam and understanding injuries. And so it's something where you know, I typically would meet with them and talk to them about a protocol in terms of you know, what are the indications to refer to us, mm -hmm. a specific mechanism of injury or an exam finding or just the need for uh, equipment or that they don't have there, such as an ultrasound or, again, going back to the imaging with x-rays if there was an acute injury and you're worried about something more serious like a fracture. Mm -hmm. That's great. So, um, so let's talk about the next um, layer of this with athletes, and that is that a lot of times injuries become chronic problems where people have some instability or they have chronic discomfort um, they perform at less than their optimal levels. Um, for me anyways, that seems like a situation where you would probably be involved with that patient and try and work through how you might be helpful there. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, usually when these symptoms have been going on for a long period of time, they tend to fall under different categories as in terms of the pathology. And so a lot of times when patients come to us with those symptoms, they've tried a lot of different things already, whether it's at home on their own. Maybe they've seen a, a different type of healthcare provider who recommended them to try some ba basic conservative care. So usually when we're seeing these patients, they've tried some things, but they also maybe not have had a, a, a complete formal workup. Have they, have, have they had x-rays? Have uh, they needed, if they need an MRI, have they had an MRI? Um, so really making sure that they've had the appropriate workup. Uh, make sure that you have the, the right diagnosis, which in the musculoskeletal world can be a little bit nebulous sometimes. Mm -hmm. And after identifying that, then you know there's a lot of different treatment options that we can talk about. Any, anything, you know, formal physical therapy, if they haven't done that, there's different injections that we do that we can talk a little bit more later in the podcast. Mm -hmm. um, certainly home exercises, if they're not doing formal physical therapy, or uh, you know braces, we use a lot of different braces depending on what the underlying cause is. Yeah, that's really interesting. You alluded in an earlier part of this interview to the fact that there's a percentage of injuries that happen to athletes that are surgical in nature and a percentage that are non-surgical. Can you t discuss that a little bit? Because I, I was surprised to hear that number. Yeah, I would say, um, think, thinking in broad terms, about 90% are, are non-operative. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, going back to athletes and working with a trainer, for example, we do know that there are certain injuries, like some knee injuries, where you have a, a, a knee effusion, where you have swelling on the knee just beyond the, the soft tissues, but actual intraarticular swelling. We know that about 40% of those athletes go on to have surgery. Mm. So I think, you know, educating uh, athletes, individuals, trainers, mm -hmm. in, in that would be one of the red flags that I'm talking about. If someone ha sustains a knee injury, then has an immediate immediate effusion. That's a whole different ball game than mm -hmm. someone that has had knee pain from running that has slowly worsened over three months. Right. So I think it's good to communicate those types of red flags and and, and recognize that overall 90% is probably a good number, but you know certain situations the the number of surgical cases can be higher. Yeah. Right. That's interesting. So. Um, 
When you referred earlier to um, physical therapy, um, I'm sure that there's a s substantial number of people that end up being referred to physical therapist. I think, I think you can even self-refer to physical therapy now mm -hmm. for um, treatments. So, so talk a little bit about the partnership that might exist between physical therapy and uh, family medicine uh, sports physician. Sure. I think the, the big um, benefit of having physical therapists is the first one is really time. Mm -hmm. You know, we have a limited amount of time to see patients sometimes, less than we would like. Um, but a lot of therapy is education, educating individuals on how they should be doing a specific exercise, how they should be stretching. We, we know that there are specific types of exercises in a lot of these different conditions, like uh, tendinopathies, where specific exercises have the best evidence in, in, in healing that tendon. Mm -hmm. And so having a therapist that's knowledgeable of that and able to take the time and educate the individual is, is really a big component. They also can do other things that we can't do in the clinic, something like therapeutic ultrasound, mm -hmm. um, you know, more, more local modalities when I say therapeutic ultrasound rather than an injection, mm -hmm. um, soft tissue techniques, massage, that type of thing. That, that is often beneficial and that we as primary care physicians don't typically do. Mm. Um, so I, I think having that education piece and then those local modalities are really a powerful tool in you know, getting patients back to whatever they like to do. That's awesome. Um, can you talk briefly uh, about concussive evaluations? Because this is a thing that's very highly visible now in the athletic world, um, particularly for certain sports. Can you just talk a little bit about what is involved with evaluating people with concussions and then the return to sports and how that's accomplished? Yeah, usually in the clinic setting, when someone comes in with concussion symptoms, we, we have a story of what has happened, usually with a, a parent or um, a trainer, for example, who accompanies the, the individual. So the first is really to understand you know, what happened um, and then it's consistent with the, di the diagnosis of concussion. Understanding a little bit about the individual, do they have any type of comorbid psychiatric conditions that we know can worsen during concussion, like anxiety or depression, mm -hmm. um, just because those are, are, are so prevalent in society right now. And so that gives us a better understanding of you know, how we get the patient back to what they want to do. And then you know, we go through a, a detailed neurologic exam try to understand what the, the individual's goals are in terms of school or work, and then what they want to get back to doing from a physical standpoint, and really taking that in a, in a step-by-step step process where we don't get them back too quickly. But as we talk about concussion, in, in the past there was a lot of focus on complete cognitive and physical rest where we know that is not the, probably the best advice now, where we do want some stimulus, but again, in an integrated fashion where we get them back to whatever they do from work, school. Oh, that's fascinating. Let me shift our attention right now to non-athletic um, conversation because from conversations I've had with you before, I know that a lot of the things that you treat um, are musculoskeletal, but their origins may be occupational, they may be weekend warriors, weekend athletes, weekend yard workers, a variety of other places where uh, injuries or where musculoskeletal abnormalities occur that are perfectly relevant to what you do. So could you talk a little bit about that? 
Yeah, that's actually a, a fairly significant part of what we do, especially in the industrial setting where we have see a lot of individuals who are doing one type of motion day in, day out for, for hours, which can set up overuse injuries. Mm -hmm. Also with laborers, construction workers, for example, or those running power tools who um, are doing a lot of gripping or using power tools with a, a lot of vibration that day in and day out. And so those individuals naturally have, um, are at risk for overuse injuries. And so we, we see a lot of those and probably, that probably makes up a bigger portion than even the, the true sports or athletic injuries. Mm -hmm. Um, but the, the treatment options really, we offer all the same different things in terms of injections, therapy, bracing. And so, um, and, you know, weekend warriors is another big category. Everyone has some activity that they like to do, whether it's playing an instrument or running. And so we're trying to spend time to figure out what their goals are, you know, what they want to get back to doing, what, they, what their long-term goals are, and try to come up with a, a roadmap how to get there. Yeah, that's really, really interesting. And I, I think for me that was really enlightening to understand that when we're talking about a sports medicine fellowship, it really is much broader than sports uh, in terms of the cause of the problems. So I'm really glad to hear you talk about that. One of the things that I know that you utilize and that you were trained to utilize um, in both diagnosis and in treatment is ultrasound. Could you talk something about that? Let us know what it is that you do with ultrasound. Yeah, part of the training and fellowship is the use of ultrasound in both diagnostic and therapeutic interventions. And in terms of diagnosis, we can use this for different things, specifically to look at uh, rotator cuff. Just to give you an example, hmm. ultrasound is excellent for looking at soft tissues. So it's really good at looking at things like rotator cuff issues to shoulder injuries. Shoulder injuries. Mm -hmm. It's uh, able to look and, and see if there's, if even really if it's more tendinopathy versus tendinitis, mm -hmm. which the underlying pathology is, is different. And so you can look at the tendon and be able to visualize it. You're able to see if you have a, a tendon tear, which is excellent when you're at the point of care and you need to make decisions on mm -hmm. management or if they need x-rays or advanced imaging like MRI. It's also really good from a diagnostic standpoint to look at things like uh, joint fluids, which might suggest arthritis, where we typically use x-rays to look more at the bony architecture, but certainly can be used, um, any cortical step-off, for example, that you might have with a fracture can sometimes be seen with the ultrasound as well. So di diagnosis is kind of the first component, and then the second part is um, the interventional component. We often do joint injections. Sometimes in the clinic we do them by palpation where we have a good idea of where the joint is, but studies have shown that depending on the different joint, we don't always um, get there sometimes maybe 70 or 80 percent of the time depending on the joint where with the ultrasound we're able to have real-time uh, evidence of precisely where the needle is going and make sure that the medication is get, getting delivered to the right spot. So you can actually see the needle and see the medication being delivered. Exactly. Wow, that's yeah. awesome. So we were able to do that in real time and we use that for again different things like arthritis, um, delivering anti-inflammatory medications right to the joint. Sometimes with tendons we will do different types of whole blood injections where we take blood from the patient's um, arm and inject it right back into the side of the, the pathologic tendon to promote healing. Hmm. 
there are many different types of injections that we can do. Um, sometimes we do a, an NSAID like Toradol, and mm -hmm. that can be used. Um, you know, it's an anti-inflammatory. Anti-inflammatory that's mm -hmm. delivering that medicine right to the the point of the problem, rather than taking an oral medication, which is tasked with going throughout the whole body and can have mm -hmm. side effects. Yeah. Tell me a little bit more about the whole blood injection. Is that to get um, growth factors, or is that for the stem cell uh, potential, or what? What is the premise behind that? There, there are different uh, injections that we can do with the ultrasound. Those also being platelet-rich plasma, which a lot of people hear about. It's in the news a lot. A lot of the athletes use it. Mm -hmm. Stem cells. We can also inject stem cells under ultrasound guidance, depending on the source of the stem cell. But whole blood is uh, really just a cheaper option. It's mm -hmm. not part of the drawback with platelet, PRP or platelet-rich plasma or stem cell is the cost. It's it can expensive. be expensive. Mm -hmm. A lot of times these aren't covered by insurance. Mm -hmm. Depending on the underlying pathology, the evidence is, is mixed. Mm -hmm. And so whole blood really is, has all the, a lot of the same growth factors, but you know, on a practical level, it's not as expensive. It's you know, um, no more expensive than a regular injection. There's mm -hmm. no significant out-of-pocket expense and has shown good results in terms of healing chronic tendon problems. That's interesting, and it's your own material. Right. You know, you're not using pooled material from other yeah. from blood banks or those sort of things. Then. Yeah, there's no no real risk of infection. Uh, you know, yeah. like you you there's a potential with stem cell, for example. Mm -hmm. It's low, but it's there. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that's interesting. Really interesting. So um, so let's talk a little bit about the facility you're moving to. Right now, you're practicing at the Auburn Park location, which is near Auburn Road and Dupont Road. Um, but you're getting ready to move in September to the northeast part of the city where you'll practice at um, what we've referred to as our Hope Drive location. Tell me a little bit about what the big advantages for you, particularly related to sports medicine and your type of practice, will be to being in that facility. Yeah, I think that the main benefit really for patients at our new location will be both access and convenience. Going back to the, the whole primary care sports medicine definition, it's somewhere where patients, if they don't have a primary care physician, can go be seen, get all their primary care needs met, preventative care and so forth. We're gonna have laboratory there so they're able to get basic blood work, cholesterol checks, for example. If they need lab monitoring for blood pressure, they'll be able to get that done there. Mm -hmm. But also be able to see someone with fellowship training who can take care of a wide range of musculoskeletal issues. We'll have point of care imaging so we can get x-rays on site. We won't have to send patients to another location to have the x-rays done. Mm -hmm. We'll also have ultrasound there so we can use that <clears throat> use that at the point of care for diagnosis mm -hmm. and then also for the different types of therapeutic interventions that we talked about. So really kind of a one-stop shop for musculoskeletal and primary care. Uh, that's really exciting. Well, is there anything else that you would want to comment about um, that you'd want to let our listeners know before we close up today with our podcast? I don't think so at this time. Stay tuned and hopefully we'll be able to introduce some new treatment options as we move along and grow here in Fort Wayne. Yeah, thank you. Well, thanks for spending your time with us today. Uh, this was Dr. Joe Perkins that we spoke with who is family medicine, sports medicine uh, trained. Um, I think our listeners have heard that there's a wide range of diagnostic and therapeutic skills that come from a sports fellowship trained physician and um, I'm hoping that it's been very informative for them. Uh, to schedule an appointment with Dr. Perkins or any of our excellent Diu Health primary care doctors, call us at 
5400. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Doctor Is In. We hope you join us next time too.